0: Welcome, adventurers. This is Musecast 14, your podcast for everything roleplay in the world of Eorzea. I'm your co host, Emmy,
1: And I'm your co host, Remix Sakura.
0: And last episode was a bit of a different episode. We had focused on character creation, and we're helping one of Remix's friends, Russ, also known as Risrael Klinbarvin, with creating and developing one of his characters. We were supposed to do this episode, a follow-up episode based on that, in which we were going to talk about his experience role-playing and things like that on Gilgamesh. However, due to his schedule, we decided that we were going to do something different from what we had planned, and instead are going to return to our little look at the city-states in Heidelin. So we've already visited a number of city-states, we visited all the Alliance city-states, we visited the Far East, so places like Doma and Hingashi we have visited as well Garlamald. But we wanted to focus today on another city-state which plays maybe a bit more of an indirect role in a lot of the story of the main scenario. And this is one in which a lot of the Scions have found themselves in at one point or another. And there are actually a lot of original characters who I believe happen to come from that city state.
1: Indeed. It's amazing to think that there are still places <laughs> whose lore we have not discussed in depth. But today, we're going to start a series on Charlean and the Scions that hail from there.
0: Yes, I think the actual look at the Scions will be next episode, so this episode will focus a little bit more on the state itself. And I figure once we get a good look at what we know about the city-state, what we know from places like the lore book, places like the stories of the Scions, maybe even, we'll have a decent view of what Charlayan is like, even if we haven't visited it yet.
1: Indeed. There's plenty of hints, and really, even though their influence is indirect, their influence on Eorzea is huge and goes back for many centuries. Now, as far as how to encapsulate the heart of what Sharlayan is all about. Well, when we visit Idleshire, we see their motto, knowledge seeks no man. And really, scholarship and knowledge is the heart of everything that they're about. Everything in the society is based on that one pursuit, that one industry of education, of research, into magic, into all kinds of fields. And as far as their value system and their government structure, I actually got a lot of vibes from ancient Greece, which was also a huge early center of learning with so many famous people coming up with entirely new disciplines that help us look at the world like philosophy, debate, logic, rhetoric.
0: I don't know. I kind of got a little bit more of an ancient Rome feel, especially given the governmental structure, which we'll be talking about later.
1: Yeah, but it'd have to be early Rome before they got into being the Roman Empire.
0: Right, yeah. No, the Roman the Roman Republic is what I'm speaking of. Not so much Roman Empire, military conquest, all that.
1: Yeah, that's Garlemald. <laughs> <laughs> right. Indeed. So what we can see is that their greatest moral imperative is the gathering of knowledge. And doing so for its own sake. That's what they consider the purest purpose of life. Kinda of like the old ones think of the collection of money as their moral imperative.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's
1: almost like a spiritual activity.
0: To be fair, a lot of their their founding story, at least, was based on attaining this sort of higher state of, of knowledge and enlightenment. The founder of Charleyenne, and I his name escapes me right now for the moment, but
1: Nuncrep, and
0: That is very <laughs> difficult to pronounce. I will need a spelling of that in order to pronounce it properly. Um, however, however, when they when they founded Charleian, they were initially escaping from the sixth calamity, which was that giant flood that ended up destroying Mach among other places. And in escaping, they were forced to resort to really barbarism. They were just strained on food and everything. And so this the Wolf decided he did not want a society founded on just those basic pursuits. So following their settlement, that was what he decided that this society would be based on. And of course, the people who followed him ended up taking in those teachings. And it just continued into this pursuit of knowledge that persists even today.
1: Indeed. Now, geographically, Charlayan is... An archipelago of islands somewhere far northwest of Eorzea. What's interesting actually is that the closest part of Eorzea to Charlene seems to be that part of Dravania where they ended up founding the colony of New Charlene, which, well, didn't quite work out in the long run, but we'll get into that too. <laughs> <laughs> but that's where it is geographically, so not super far away. But presently, they basically have no official relations with Eorzea other than occasional exchange of people. Of products and ideas.
0: Yeah, but for the most part, because it's not really affiliated with, for example, the Eorzean Alliance, it does seem very isolated.
1: Oh, yeah. And part of that is deliberate because alongside this pursuit of knowledge and the recording of history as it happens is also a moral imperative to not interfere in history, to be neutral, to be isolationist, and to never actually pursue war.
0: Right. And on the one hand... Avoiding conflict and all of this might be good for them because they aren't wasting resources and especially when they're trying to focus on this pursuit of knowledge, they can freely do that. But on the other hand, in trying to avoid war, they abandoned this colony of New Sharlayan. Following the invasion of Alamigo by Garlemald, they said, well, we don't want to be involved in this. We're peacing out. So. Everything that was in this colony, even though it was a pretty well-known colony, it was fairly developed, they just left it there. They took a lot of the books, they left some of them behind in the great Google Library, and they just they headed back to the mainland to where where they originated from. And yeah. so some people might think, well, it's short-sighted maybe if they're if they're just running away from this conflict, Maybe Garlemald will end up destroying them, even though they have no way of doing this because they aren't helping in pushing back the Garlean threat. You know how selfish is that? How short-term focused are they?
1: Well, they're just extreme pacifists, really. Like they won't fight back; they will just run away and hope that they will be spared. Garlemald yeah, because what threat. did they do? Yeah, like if they don't attack, they won't be attacked. Is their hope? I guess. But it is kind of sad because what we see in the ruins of the Dravanian Hinterlands, it was once pretty grand. It was once a big center for learning for Eorzeans to come there and get a little bit of the wisdom of Charleian. And interestingly, it was first established in Eorzea because they wanted to study the Ethereal Sea, the network of ethereal rivers that is strongest in all the planet in Aorzia and converges on Silvertier Lake, as we see in the Anti-Tower and things like that. So Eorzea is a subject of study for them. And also, they were the ones that helped Eorzea establish the Aethernet travel network. None of that could have happened without their knowledge of Ether and magic and everything else, of how to use these crystals as a homing beacon for travel. And and apparently, one of their biggest sources of revenue is fees <laughs> collected from maintaining the Aethernet network in Aeorzia. So I
0: guess you could say that they still have something to do with activity in Eorzea, with allowing Eorzea to to thrive, or at least having these adventurers be able to to more freely travel about. So there's a thing.
1: Yeah. I don't want to ride the chocobo everywhere. Pay
0: chocobo porters. Like, how rich would those chocobo porters be <laughs> if we didn't have the ethernet?
1: Yeah, yeah. But there's one group that could never let such ruins just turn into junk. And that's Eorzea's best junk mongers, the goblins. <laughs> so they moved in. They, along with the treasure hunters in the area who were looking for relics to be able to sell, they together established Isleshire. As a new settlement on the frontier, and it's a lot like Mordona, and not just because they're both endgame towns for people to AFK in, but because these are independent settlements, not under the control of any existing city-state government, but just frontier towns where only the bravest adventurers could go. Perfect place for Rowena to set up shop. And yeah, sell us gear.
0: <laughs> for Ruina to, to earn her spot on the syndicate, <laughs> perhaps. And it should be noted, yeah. by the way, that Idleshire I mean, Idleshire was a part of New Charlayan, but basically what the goblins did was they took these ruins so you can still see what maybe Charlayan architecture might be like over there, which again harkens back to perhaps ancient Greece, ancient Rome. And so you do see the remnants of these places. You see. Even though some of it is rubble, for example, I believe in the Maker's Quarter there's some ruins that you just have a bunch of goblins hanging out, like the Illuminati have taken over some of the areas, and it's unfortunate that it's still there, but at least we get some sort of little hint as to what these places were like before they left.
1: Yeah, it's clear that Idleshire is using the same architectural style as best that they can replicate it. Now. As for the Charlayan mainland itself, even though we haven't gone there, we know a bit about its major institutions and activities. Possibly the biggest is something called the Studium, and that is the main institution of higher learning, which probably employs the vast majority of the population, since education and research is its almost sole industry. So you can think about it as... So it's a huge, huge university.
0: That was what I was thinking too, especially considering that we have from stories like Alfino and Alizé this abnormality in which these twins got in at age 11. And it's noted that that was extremely young. They were the youngest students to enter the studium. And so you would think, well, maybe it's around university level. And so that's why we're thinking that the studium itself is is like... A university, maybe, maybe something where you could earn like a PhD or something like that. Although that's more, more close to the Archon system, I believe.
1: Yeah, even though it might be really, really extraordinary for an 11 year old to enter a university today, it's not totally unheard of. Once in a while, you do hear about these brilliant prodigies. So that does make sense. And as far as what we know about the Archon system, it does seem to be like a PhD, the highest educational honor you can earn by specializing and showing your expertise in a single field of study. And that could be really anything because of the Archons that we know, yeah, Yestola and Moonbrita and Urianje were focused more on the esoteric and the magic, but Sankred's also an Archon and Ida, the original Ida, was also an Archon based on their study of martial arts. So it maybe depends less on what you're actually studying and more on how deeply you pursue it and how much you innovate. And even though none of us really know too much about the modern world of academia, becoming an archon does seem very, very similar to becoming a PhD or a doctorate, except that you also get a super rad tattoo when you graduate. (laughs)
0: That sounds somewhat painful. I do hope that they have some equivalent of anesthetic for people who are... uh... (laughs) Not so fond of getting that tattoo. Yeah,
1: especially since so many of them have them on their face.
0: On your neck.
1: Yeah, like Arianjay has it on his face. Like Matoya has, and uh, and Luisua had them on their face. Oh man,
0: pretty crazy.
1: Anyone out there that's uh, pursuing a PhD consider consider getting a tattoo. Get
0: an archon tattoo to <laughs> prove your your expertise yeah. in a subject. Yeah. <laughs> So with this focus on knowledge, you might be wondering just how the Charlands are able to make money in order to keep their society afloat. And the way that they do that, we believe, is by, of course, running these schools and academies and, I would assume, collecting tuition off of those. But another way that they do it is they sell the knowledge that they have, they sell these books and these published papers to the rest of the world. And so, of course, you can't sell those only to Charleans, so they are marketed to Aorzians. Come to Charlean and study. Or come look at this new thing that we found in Charlean. Maybe it'll help you with whatever you happen to be pursuing. And, of course, like we discussed, they also make money from Aorzia's Ethernet and the maintenance of that. And I'm sure with all the people building houses, there's got to be some amount of maintenance needed in that.
1: <laughs> yeah. All those teleport fees, (laughs) they're going to Charlayan. (laughs) But the Ethernet network seems to be the only real practical application of their knowledge. You know what I mean? They don't really create products the way that, you know, say, Garland Ironworks does.
0: It's nothing extremely tangible. I mean, of course, you do have the books, you have the papers. But really, the bigger reward in this, the bigger thing to be gained is the knowledge that is contained within. And that's a little bit different from some place... Like, say, Ulda, where you have the minerals that are there, or, like, Alamigo, or places like, I don't know, Limsa Limenza. you know? If you have wineries, like, you have your tangible wine, as opposed to this knowledge in Charlean. Yeah, they
1: seem to believe that knowledge should be its own product, and maybe they want to keep their industries pure of these sort of applications of knowledge, which they consider dangerous or morally ambiguous, you know, they want to stay closest to this pure pursuit of knowledge for its own sake. But one thing I always think of in the context of roleplay is if you have a character from Charlene, for example, they could be an academic, they could be a researcher or a student, but there's got to be other blue collar jobs. There's got to be people that cook their food and clean their bedsheets.
0: To be fair, apparently the food in Charlene is not very good. Because even though they yeah. <laughs> study food, according to the lore book, they study food just so they can learn about it. And so the food in Charlayan is notoriously bland. And I feel like, and and this is pure just speculation at this point, but I feel like a lot of those blue-collar jobs might be looked down upon in some ways. Because oh, they yeah. aren't contributing oh, yeah to the pursuit of knowledge, really. It's like, of course, you get sustenance for it, but it's so basic. You know, it's those basic ideals that were sort of shunned upon, but of course they have to be there. They have to be fulfilled in some way. So maybe that could be a reason for maybe a character to leave Charlayan or something like that. If they were in one of those professions before and didn't enjoy it, that's something I imagine might be the case.
1: Yeah, it's almost like they don't accept that there could be any pleasure in the world other than learning like the pleasure of eating food is something baser and not noble enough you know they just don't really seem to know how to enjoy life and i could see that any parent whether they are middle class higher class or lower class would want for their kids go to the studium every parent would want that but how easy is it for people from lower classes more working class to get into the studium You know, or is there this sort of elitism that comes under the surface? And what if they have a shortage of people that want to do blue collar jobs? Almost like kind of what we have in the US where, yeah, people put a lot of emphasis on education, but it means that sometimes people don't want to work farm jobs or cleaning jobs. And they tend to go to undocumented workers, immigrants, because they're like, we just want to work hard. We don't have this pride in this elitism, but then this creates this social divide. Do they take illegal immigrants from Eorzea or even Alamigo? And even though they have this sort of idealistic society, I could see the possibility for stratification. And that does also make me think about the way that they govern themselves. And this was the biggest thing that reminded me of ancient Greece. So in their early days, when Charleian was just a pretty small nation, pretty small city, they had a direct democracy known as the Ecclesia, where all of the adults of age would just come together and talk things out. And eventually they would come to a consensus and they would hear everybody's opinions and eventually they would all agree. And that seems really like too good to be true to me. And it's the kind of thing that, yeah, it could work. But once you have too many people, there's bound to be discord, disagreement. And there's also bound to be people that are just going to be louder than others. Like one flaw that I always think of in direct democracy is. People have different levels of charisma, of speaking talent, and unfortunately, the most attention tends to go to the people that are the best speakers, or the most attractive personalities, or just have that natural leadership. Not the people that are most morally right, not the people that necessarily represent everybody. So, they tried to keep this pure ideal when they became a little bigger by implementing not a direct democracy, but a democratic republic, in which folks were now elected to a new body called the Forum which consists of 99 members, and all the adults still get a vote in electing forum members, even if they may not get this direct voice, because they needed to streamline things a little bit. And as far as a single leader or head of state, there is someone known as the speaker of the forum, but the lore book tells us that that person's power is restricted a lot by the law, so they want to keep things balanced and equal, it's clear.
0: And this is where I see more of a transition from what you said, ancient Greece into this ancient Roman Republic. Of course, the big similarity being that the Roman Republic had these elected members that best spoke for the the people. However, the, the biggest similarity that I found was that the Roman Republic had 100 members where, of course, Final Fantasy, in their obsession with the number nine, decided that they were going <laughs> to have 99 members. So it's a difference of one. But really, like, is one person going to matter? I don't think so.
1: <laughs> they need to make sure that all of the members can fit in a single item stack.
0: Yes, so you have a stack of forum members <laughs> in your inventory. <laughs>
1: Exactly. Now, as far as we can tell from the Charlayans that we know, it does seem to be pretty ethnically diverse and balanced between different races. You've got Hears and Elizan and Rugadin and all sorts.
0: That might be true, but from the information in the lore book, we actually don't know a whole lot about this diversity. We see it, of course. A little bit. We see it in the makeup of the scions. However, we do not have any information as to what percentage of the population is any given race. And the reason for this, as stated in the lore book, is that they do not make population statistics public in the interest of equality. Another thing that we also found out in the lore book is that they guard all the knowledge that they deem dangerous. And of course, they, we don't know. My guess is it's the forum or whoever, like, the the group of people who are in charge of the government at the time. Maybe it's the speaker, maybe it's the forum itself. But this does create, perhaps, a little bit of a a utopian vision that might end up becoming a dystopia, if it is not a dystopia already. In that, sure, they're trying to safeguard dangerous information. Sure, they don't want to create weapons to wage war because that's what the societal values say is not something that they want to pursue? What if they want to conceal other information? What if they want to hide information in order to spread lies about certain groups of people? What if they want to control the population in suppressing information, in suppressing what the forum's actually doing? You know, you never know what that's going to be used for. So maybe, maybe Charlene is a very peaceful place. But we may end up seeing our Chalet and when we visit it, that has its problems like any other city state and maybe even corruption.
1: Oh, yeah, I can definitely see a dark side starting to emerge as we look closer to it. Basically, once the government decides that withholding information for people's good is OK, it's a real bad slippery slope to becoming like Big Brother.
0: There is that risk,
1: you know? Yeah, who gets to decide what is dangerous and what isn't? Now it's population statistics. Next it's something else. Maybe it's racial injustices. Maybe it's mistreatment of working class people. But if people decide that it's okay for the government to control their information and if knowledge is the main currency of Charland that really could be used in the hands of the wrong people with the wrong attitude to control the people and make a piece that's based on lies and falsehoods.
0: So I suppose we'll have to wait until we actually visit Charlayan or maybe get a little bit more information from people who actually were in Charlayan to really cement whether or not this is the case.
1: Yeah. What we know really so far comes from the personal life stories of the Archons of Charlayan who integrated into the science of the Seventh Dawn, who we will definitely discuss individually in the next episode. Because... Even though they are really, really important main scenario characters because they're not necessarily affiliated with a certain city state other than Charlayan, we haven't had a chance to discuss them yet, so that will be very exciting.
0: So until next episode, we will have to wait on that. But for now, let's move into our next little segment. So every week, because we love the game so very much, we like to give an account of something that has happened between now and the last episode. Could be in-game, could be out-of-game, just something that was interesting that has happened. So usually I don't start. So I guess I will start this time. Alrighty. So last episode, I believe we talked about the idea of your character, Natsuki Catboy, having a beach party. Yes. On the shores of The Mist. And so I decided to, of course, go over to this event and have some fun. And there were a good number of people who showed up, I believe. Uh And the good part about Gilgamesh and having not quite as large of a roleplay population as Baomeng is you do get to see a lot of the same people at events. And so there were a lot of people who I knew from past events. And one of the things that we decided to do... During this event was a rock skipping contest. Just on the beach, people were picking up rocks and trying to skip them. And we were trying to see how many times like a rock would skip. And if you rolled over 500, then your rock would skip once per every 100 over 500. So if you got 600, your rock would skip twice. If you got 500 something, it would skip only once. Things like that, right?
1: Yeah, as with most RP event games, this was played with the slash random command. and. As Emmy was discussing, you had to roll 500 or higher to be able to skip your rock. And it should be noted that, as far as we know, slash random goes from 1 to 999.
0: It does. For example, if you roll a really low number, I remember we were trying to skip rocks before and somebody rolled a 7. And they fell backwards (laughs) into the water. And then my character Scoot tried to help her up. And he rolled a 30, which was also very low. So he just ended up falling into the water with her. Something like that, right? So if you get something really low, then you have a pretty bad result. If you have something really high, then you get a good result. And sometimes you can have outrageous situations on either end of the scale.
1: Yeah, because you do have to react in real time to how successful your character Skip was.
0: Right. So, for example, Scoot rolled, I think it was a 962, so it was a very, very good skip, and it just skips extremely far, and people are just like, whoa, that was really great, somebody rolls something very similar, same thing. However, the objective of this started to shift very slightly, and there is a row who, I forget his full name, it's like Lutzang or something like that.
1: Yeah, Lutzang Barabir. Or we just call him Lutz. We
0: call him Lutz. And so yeah. Scoot had the idea of, Lutz, you're really big. Can you throw me? Can you yes, try to it skip became, me?
1: It turned into uh, skipping lalas instead of just skipping rocks.
0: Right. So this turned into a Lala skipping contest. And I think <laughs> Lutz was only the only one who was really interested in trying to skip Scoot. But he wanted to make sure that Scoot wouldn't get hurt. And Scoot, of course, is like, I'm a tank. It'll be fine. And so Lutz goes and throws Scoot and rolls a 999.
1: Yes, it was a super critical dice roll, and Scoot went flying across the ocean.
0: Scoot just (laughs) flies away, was what I put. It's like Scoot put two, flies out of sight. And so I just thought that was extremely funny. And Scoot, when he eventually appeared again, was completely unharmed and was like, can you do that again? (laughs) So I thought that was a fun little RP experience and everybody was just shocked at like the one time they throw the Lala and he just rolls this amazing number. And so it's a good thing that Scoot was a tank is all I have to say. Like he's really tiny, but at least he can take a hit.
1: Oh, yeah. I'm sure he was pretty aerodynamic, too. Very. (laughs) Yeah, it was just one of those perfect moments, and we took screenshots because we we're like, nobody's going to believe this unless we take a screenshot.
0: <laughs> yeah, I may, I may end up having us post that on the Musecast site if people are interested.
1: <laughs> but that was really the highlight of the night. But overall, it was actually a really nice beach party. And as Emmy was saying, in the smaller RP communities, you may not get the numbers. But you have a solid group of tight knit friends that all kind of know each other. So when we get together, we don't necessarily need to have a lot of activities, a lot of giveaways. We just kind of get together as friends and things just kind of mesh and gel and people just enjoy the company.
0: Yeah. And like that rock skipping contest, we didn't have that plan. Somebody was just like, hey, can we do this? Mm -hmm. And it just it just came out of it in that moment, which I thought was neat.
1: So Natsuki and I were both very happy to be able to create a fun time for everybody that evening.
0: And Scoot was happy to be thrown very (laughs) far.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. Well, that happened around the end of August, but as we are recording this today, it is September 19th, which is a very, very special holiday, especially for those of us who love Limsa Lominsa. What holiday is that?
0: It is Talk Like a Pirate Day. It is
1: Talk Like a Pirate Day.
0: <laughs> a day in which Nanomo would have a very difficult time adjusting to trying to just play the pirate.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. So, obviously, obviously, as a Marvel role player, I was excited to do this. So, we planned something on our home for that character, the Lich Server, and developed a Pirate Day party, also known as Pirate Heritage Day. Now, I started to think about. Sort of an in-universe, in-character reason why Mova might want to hold a celebration. Now, we know that there's a lot of tension in Limsa over being founded by pirates, being a city of pirate culture where piracy is no longer legal. So I thought that she might create a pirate heritage day as a way to balance out these concerns. To say that basically we shouldn't be ashamed of our pirate past, our pirate culture, our pirate values of freedom... And all this, but we have to acknowledge that piracy is in the past. It's no longer in our best interest to go around reaving and plundering and looting. We have to have legitimate industries that contribute to society for ourselves, for the rest of the realm, and in order to defend against external threats such as the Garlean Empire. So I wrote up a little treatise about, you know, basically her statement out to LIMSA about what this new holiday means, so that there was sort of an in-universe reason for this holiday, Pirate Heritage Day. But as far as the fun stuff, <laughs> actually, right this moment, a bunch of us have gotten together on the Astilesia, which is actually the home of the Bloody Executioners, one of the three active pirate crews in Limsa, and you can find this on the lower decks close to the Fishermen's Guild. It is a really, really nice location. It's also where you unlock the step dance. It's basically the perfect place to have a piratey celebration, <laughs> and I've been giving away fish. And sparklers and sour red. And our friend Morgana, who runs Silver Valkyrie Events, is planning map parties to have treasure maps and... Doing challenges like get to the last room of the Aquapolis or do a map, but only wearing level one gear, you know, because you got to you got to search for that treasure. And we're going to have a glamour contest and the winner is going to get the treasure chest housing item. So everybody's in all their piratey glamours and step dancing the night away. And it's just it's super awesome, even though it's kind of a simple thing. And the time zones make it a little wonky because most people in Lich are in EU. But I also was encouraging people to try making an alt. Because Lich is open for character creation, and you can just, you know, start in LIMSA and just come right on by. <laughs> but this is uh, an issue that a lot of people and a lot of servers deal with, because even Bulmonk has a good EU population, as we've discussed. We wanted to have something that everybody can participate in in some way, but I definitely think it'll be a lot of fun. I've had fun so far, and we can definitely make it an annual tradition.
0: <laughs> I don't see why not.
1: Yeah, because at this point, the Halloween Mystery Night has become like a yearly Lich tradition, right?
0: Yeah, I think we're planning on making or having another mystery night around Halloween, so.
1: Yeah. So it's a really nice time of year when you have all these holidays to just center RP events around them. You can always go back and listen to our episode on planning RP events if you'd like to do something on your server for All Saints Wake, for Starlight, or any other local holiday, like Talk Like a Pirate Day. (laughs) Even something really, really simple, just like a glamour contest can be a lot of fun. It can get people together.
0: Yeah, and speaking of getting people together as we move into our announcement segment, there is an event coming up pretty soon. It's not a roleplay event, but roleplayers I'm sure would be welcomed there. And that is a Stage Reborns production of The Story of Maria and Draco. Now, this is a play that is based on the opera of Final Fantasy VI Renown. And though it doesn't entirely follow everything in the opera, it's still a very good play, I believe. And I would know because I'm in it. So you should go Ah. and see it. You should go and see it. This is actually taking place on the Diablo server. And I would recommend if you do want to see it, make a character before the show dates. Because typically when there is a production, there are so many people trying to get in that character creation closes. So that show will be on September 23rd and 24th from 6 to 9 Pacific which I believe is 9 to 12 Eastern. And by the time this episode comes out, that first weekend will probably be already past. However, there will be a second weekend of showings on September 30th and October 1st. And on both of those days, there will be a matinee show taking place at 12 p.m. Pacific, also known as 3 p.m. Eastern, and then another little segment of shows from 6 to 9 Pacific or 9 to 12 Eastern. So if you would like to go ahead and see those shows, please do. The house itself is in Gradania, so you may want to keep that in mind when you are creating your character. And for more information on that, you can go to www.astagereborn.com.
1: And we'll also be sure to post reminders on our website and social media with those flyers. Now, last but not least, we want to recap and report on the success of our 9,999 download celebration, which happened last week on Twitch.
0: Man, was that fun. That That was yeah. exhausting by the end of it, we, but uh, that was fun.
1: We successfully streamed for 9.9 hours.
0: <laughs> In fact, I think we went over that 9.9 hours yeah. thing.
1: <laughs> yeah just about 10
0: but we had a lot of different guests and once again i would like to thank everybody who was taking part in that show and also everybody who stopped by to either hang out in the twitch chat or just to watch we gained a lot of followers so if you did follow and you're listening to this right now thank you very very much for your support
1: yes these things definitely cannot succeed not only without our many esteemed guests Flatus, klaus brohamed safroth morgana Meandering Mind, and even Anonymous and yep <laughs> Yeah,
0: we had a lot of people on there. So I'm hoping we can do something like that again, but probably not for quite as long.
1: Yeah, but we do want to do more stuff on Twitch, for sure. And of course, this happened to be on the same day as the Lollafella invasion for Hurricane Relief, organized by Denmo McStronghuge. So even though we weren't officially affiliated, we definitely want to thank Denmo for doing all this and raising over $21,000 for direct relief.
0: Wow.
1: And all of that will go right to a very esteemed charity and right to hurricane victims. And actually a funny story from that is that we participated in this while we had Flatus on and Flatus is in a hurricane zone. He lives in Florida. He is a actual Florida man. So in honor of his bravery in the storm, I made a Lollifel called Florida Man.
0: (laughs) Florida Man was great. I loved his character design.
1: yeah. He is a bit of a caricature, but it was all done with the approval of an actual Florida man and with nothing but love.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so there we have it.
1: Yes, a great success on many, many fronts.
0: Yep. Yeah. I feel like every episode at some point you mentioned like it was a great success, it was a huge success, something about some event <laughs> being a huge success.
1: Well, it's good that we have lots of successes to report it's on. True. I mean, we don't usually report on our failures. <laughs>
0: yeah It's like, oh, we did we did an event and nobody showed up and it was terrible. Oh. <laughs> How sad. Even, even then,
1: it's a learning experience. Right. So if you want to keep in touch with all of the exciting things we're doing on Twitch, such as Sunday Storytime Stream, where can they find us?
0: Well, on our Twitch itself, that is twitch.tv slash MuseCastXIV. And of course, if you want to listen to more of our actual podcast episodes, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. You can also find us on various social media. You can find us on Facebook if you just look up MuseCastXIV. We are also on Twitter at MuseCastXIV. We are very creative with our name. And of course, we have our website, which is www.MuseCastXIV.com.
1: And the website is also linked to Tumblr. So if you're part of the vibrant FFXIV Tumblr community, give us a follow
0: yes and if you want to support us in other ways you can of course do so with a monetary donation at either our paypal or our patreon you can find both of those on our website just go to the right side of the page and click on the shiny blue buttons or you can find them on the contact page of our website as well paypal is of course a one-time donation and for patreon which is a recurring monthly donation You can gain access to a lot of things, such as bonus content, all the things that we wanted to talk about but just didn't have the time to get to, or you can get access to episodes 24 hours before they come out, which is always really cool. So if you want to support us in either of those ways, we will be very, very thankful. All of the money goes to help support our podcast in the production and in, for example, having prizes like the ones that we gave away at our 9999 download stream. So it all goes back into the production of the show in some way or another.
1: Indeed. So now everyone has concrete proof of our generosity because we gave away two sets of Ed Glamour. Full sets, with size? <laughs> and we
0: gave away a MuseCast t-shirt too.
1: Yeah. So there you have it, folks.
0: And that, I believe, concludes our first episode on Charlayan. So I guess to continue with the same streak, At least with Charlayan. We're going to continue with our Charlayan episodes for next episode. And then at a later date, get back to the character creation and see what Russell's experiences were like trying to develop and just enjoy his character over on Gilgamesh. And that'll be, I guess, a later week.
1: Yeah. As with all of us, he is just trying to balance out in-game activities with real life. It happens. And we seem to have caught him at a little bit of a busy time. So we just want to make sure that he has enough experience and enough stuff to report back on to make a really fulfilling episode and to show growth in his character. And I am definitely pretty excited to talk about some of these Scions. So thank you again for listening, and until we catch you next time, happy adventuring!
0: Yep, see you next time! Thanks for listening to MuseCast 14. Tune in next time when we'll be discussing Charlene and the Scions Part 2. Happy adventuring, and may you ever walk in the light of the crystal.